Kilowog takes a shit at the table. That's a thing that happens in this show. <laughs> it's um, not actually <laughs> seen, but apparently there are toilets in the suit. <laughs> Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. This season, we're getting whelmed for DC's greatest sidekicks and covering every episode of Young Justice on... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Champ. And I am Andrew Tahada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That was the year that a young boy tragically was trapped in a game, a game of Jumanji, and was stuck there until some Gen Zers freed him in 2017 and was able to restore him from to his t- proper place in the timeline. Wait. Wait, I got confused. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, so uh, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, uh, the kid that they find oh, in the game. right. Who was trapped in 1996. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Trapped in a game zone, if you would. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I've been trying to actually find the sequel to that movie for quite some time. So <laughs> I might actually. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that whole game, the game. So I got it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. You bringing up some phantoms from my past. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because today we are covering a very big part of the Young Justice mythos here as we talk about episodes 18 through 21 of the Young Justice Phantom series. Um, we're now in the Rockets arc. Uh, so as a reminder, back in season one, back in, I think the last, the penultimate episode of the season, Rocket was officially, jo- had officially joined the team along with, was I guess Satana had joined at that same time, but she mm-hmm. was already in it to begin with, but not like officially. Um, but yeah, we got Icon. So in the Justice League, so we got Rocket here. So here we get a chance to do a bit of a time jump after all these seasons to see how Rocket is operating, not only as a former original member of this team, but also as a member of the Justice League um, in these four episodes covering Beyond the Grip of the Gods, Encounter Upon the Razor's Edge, Forbidden Secrets of Civilization's Past, and Odyssey of Death. Whoa, whoa! Is Orion here? I'm, I'm hearing some bass in the voice. I don't know. I don't know, Orion. I mean, yeah, he's here. He's <laughs> here. You know, these all these stories, these characters that are popping up today are all thanks to the, um, the iconic Jack Kirby who put created the fourth world because Rocket is going to find herself placed in the the area of New Genesis and. Fortunately, not Apocalypse. We do see some stuff happening <laughs> over there, though. I would not vacation in Apocalypse. Not in any way, shape, or form. No, you couldn't pay me to go there. Oh, yeah, no. So the timing of these episodes is August 24th to September 3rd. And our cast list is as follows. As we have Denise Boutte, who is Rocket, um, or Raquel Irvin. Uh, she's also voicing a couple other characters, including the High Mother of New Genesis. Uh, ben Diskin has been doing quite some harm throughout the season. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, not as harm, but as today, he is here as Orion and also Ma'alifa Ek, a.k.a. Makam X. <laughs> yes, I love that it stuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, Nika Futherman uh, from The Loud House and also Catwoman on Batman Brave and the Bold is Forger, but not the Forger that we've known. She is a Forger of a different Forger hive that meets Forger. We'll explain that later. Yeah. Uh, next up, speaking of Forger, uh, Jason Spizak is also Forger. Mm. Um, that is actually a line that comes up in the show. I just <laughs> He's also another Forger and another Forger, also a larva, and I think another Forger. But just... more importantly, he does appear as Razor as well. <laughs> oh, okay. This man has a monopoly on Forgers. Yeah, I feel like, come on, there's enough Forgers to go around, my friend. <laughs> uh, we got Green Lanterns, Tomar Ray and Kilowog are voiced by D. Bradley Baker and Kevin Michael Richardson. Jeff Pearson is J. Garrick the Flash. Andrew Cushino is Mantis. Vanessa Marshall is Dinah Lance and Ursa Zod. We got Phil Lamar returning with the steel chair as Metron. <laughs> and finally, we heard his voice one time in static um for our smallville fans he was the martian manhunter that i think appeared back in like season six or so yeah, don't don't try to test me on that right this second <laughs> <laughs> but phil morris is here as he voices three characters today noble davis lorzod and druzod ah uh, oh double duty okay mm-hmm it's kind of tough when you have to have those like father son conversations amongst yourself, I'm assuming. <laughs> That's why he doesn't talk to his son. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that our cast list and our stats are set, let's zay the tube over to the beginning of Beyond the Grip of the Gods. So surprisingly, for such a cosmic arc, we start in a very, uh, very small and realistic place. We start in Rocket's home and we see that she is. Um, getting her son Amasad ready for the day, and here we note a couple things right away that Amasad, um, she separated from Amasad's father because they're going to the father's apartment, and that Amasad has a very a series of specific behaviors which we do learn are attributed to him being on the autism spectrum. So um, we do see how for her the morning is a little bit difficult for her to process by herself. Um, just because Amasad needs certain things, things need to, actions need to be performed in certain ways. She is she expresses love and patience for it, but she is also clearly de- struggling with trying to keep up. Um, and one of the po- moments this comes to a head is when she is on the train, and uh, Amasad says that the woman next to him, the old woman, smells bad. And the the woman says, that's not polite to say that. And he's like, it's not polite to smell bad. I don't disagree. I don't disagree, Amistad. I've been to a few, few cons. I know what you're talking about, man. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> uh, after this uh, turbulent morning, Rocket gets to uh, Father's house where she tells him about the next mission as he tries to tell her about a more important mission on Earth. Yes, we do see this uh, family dynamic here of how Raquel is saying that she's not going to be really available during this time. And Noble, who's her um, former partner, is just like, I need you to be available because you never know what could happen with Amistad. While I can 
try my best. There are conversations at school and you're not going to be able to make it. That's something that I should have known about before. During this time, he also shares with her that he's a little frustrated over the fact that she seems to not be focusing on the mission at hand. She's focusing on like other missions, but the mission alluding to the fact that alluding to the fact that the mission he's talking about is um taking care of their son. And she's deep in thought about this, so deep in thought that she ends up deep in space because we do a little bit of a time jump here. As she's looking outside, she's on the javelin. Um, Some of her crewmates here are Jay Garrick, the Flash, who interrupts her asking, hey, are you are we on track? Are you a little lost? Um, And she is completely just in her own thoughts about everything that's going on. And this is where we see that this whole team that they set up is um, her. um, I'm calling him new old Flash because (laughs) he has rejoined the Justice League now, um, as well as Forger, who we've known since last season. Uh, Forger announces that new old Flash is his first member as a Justice League member, although Forger is still a member of the Outsiders. And they're heading to New Genesis because they're going to attend a summit um, that's going to include... League members, the new gods, and the Green Lantern Corps. We're unsure exactly what the goal of this summit is, but it most likely is to sign whatever treaties that need to be done or or things just to make sure that everybody's on the same page about how to make sure that things are safe around them. This is when um, Forger does share that it's been over a year since he's been home. Um, and he's never actually stepped foot in Supertown so he's unsure of what to expect when he gets there. And this is when we do see something he will expect as Orion comes through on the transmission, uh, welcomes them to New Genesis and instructs them to follow the light ray, which actually isn't like a tractor beam. Like most people would think is actually the superhero or new God light ray. That's that's his superhero name. Yeah. New gods ain't good at naming, are they? Um, (laughs) (laughs) No one can have a Cisco from like seasons one through three, okay? (laughs) Let them take a crack. Let them do a rebrand. So the first meeting between new gods and Justice League is a bit awkward. Um, Orion kind of is, he's interested in Rocket's unknown technology. So he kind of wants us to take it from her. And they're like, uh, don't ever ask that again, buddy. Um, The new gods also seem to struggle with uh, forager being there you know there's some kind of distaste towards the bugs that live on their planet and it doesn't help that now another bug breaks into the warehouse at the same time but before we can take a look into that we go over to apocalypse which had human people i've never <laughs> realized i mean i think i saw this once on superman animated series but uh-huh. human people surviving on apocalypse i don't know how y'all do it but <laughs> Or at least Barely. annoyed. <laughs> like, and it, it basically, I, I don't really know how to put it, except it looks like slavery with a few extra fiery steps. So um, yeah. one guy in the middle decides to, you know, try to get people to rebel and everything. And he even tries to say Darkseid's name in, in an insult. But they treated him like he said, Voldemort and told him, yo, cut that noise around here, especially in my bar. Uh-uh. So as we try to see if he if he gonna spark another revolution, uh, we go back over to New Genesis where that bug is moving as fast as it can. 
Yeah, and it's taking everything out in the in this direction. There is a guard or a watch a watchman that's there. She unfortunately gets knocked out. Orion uses his flight harness to some um, uh what do they call like those hover scooter things <laughs> oh, yeah. um, that people be rolling around on. It's kind of like that, but it actually flies. It actually hovers. Um, <laughs> so he's heading over, uses the boom tube to get over to the warehouse. Rocket is joining him in pursuit. Um, and as this bug is rolling through the platform of this um, almost like warehouse, the warehouse is floating. So the bug rolls off of the landing platform and off of Supertown entirely and makes its way into the same area where we first met Forger back in season three um, into the new bug, into the like the bug home and dives deep into the lake. Um, Rocket, she's following in pursuit Orion's right behind her to continue. And they're like, all right, cool. The only way that we can continue trying to see if we can find this thief is to go into the water ourselves. So Rocket creates a force bubble using her abilities or her technology around herself and Orion. And at that moment, Orion starts to get really uncomfortable and demands for Rocket to release him. And she's just like, come on, we have to keep going because the thief is ga- going to escape. And she he calls, tells her to stop. And as he she lifts them both back up, you see him taking the mother box and placing it near his head. And it's using these like soft pings to kind of calm him down from his agitated state. This uh, gives us a scene where Rocket looks a little worried as to what exactly happened. Why is it that like this person that she's supposed to this dog of war as she's just met. Why is he so reluctant to follow in pursuit? But while we figure that out, we have to hop on over to Superboy, who's still in this strange place. He's still jumping from rock to rock with the comatose ghosty. And as we left off, left off with him last time, he's there with this version of Lex Luthor, who is repeatedly asking him the questions from his old Camus programming. Like, who are you? Who are you? What is your purpose? And it shows that like the more he's hopping through this state of not knowing where he is, he's really his mind seems to be reverting back to when we first met Superboy. Yeah. And uh, it's clearly that he's been out there too long. He really does need to rest. But before we can process that, we cut back to Apocalypse where this the revolutionary we saw in the square is now leading someone else, a woman who decided to come and see if they can overthrow Darkseid. And it's revealed that this revolutionary man is Makam X. We should have known he was trying to start a racial revolution. We should have seen right through him. <laughs> His job was to find traitors and give them the dark side. It's honestly a pretty brilliant plan. I can't lie yeah. to you. But uh, yeah, man, be careful you talk to you about your boss, all right? That's all I'm going to say. Anyway... <laughs> Back on New Genesis, we find out that the uh, Forager, who is an excellent um, at snitching and has been since day one, <laughs> had, figures out where the bug hot would have gone. And we find out that the, this bug did steal the device to help her hive get internet because, you know, new seasons of Stranger Things were dropping soon. And at they're ready to break into this hive. Flash is ready to break and enter <laughs> immediately. <laughs> These are that old school like <laughs> mentality, that new old school mentality. Laws? 
What laws? <laughs> uh, what are those? We didn't have those back in the day. <laughs> but um, Orion says, "Don't let's not break the treaty. Uh, let's actually talk to them." And when a bunch of bugs come out to to meet Forager, they basically accuse him of not being black. Uh, <laughs> like, Have you forgotten yourself? <laughs> Siding with them, the colonizers. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> but thankfully, with some conversation, Forager is able to build a bridge between the people. Um, and while he's building bridges, Superboy is breaking stuff. This is where we see that his hallucinations have gone full. I, I don't know what the medical psychological term for it is, but as far as you can go, he sees himself in his like old solar suit, the white one. Uh, he's rescuing um, Lois from like the daily planet burning down. He's like saving the day at this point. He also comes across Luthor, who's praising him from being the new Superman. And we also see in this um, illusion, I guess, is uh, Desmond, a blockbuster from back in the day. He is in his more human form, not the gross mold monster that he ended up turning into. Uh, Desmond is sharing that Toy Man is attacking the streets. And Luthor is just like, no, don't don't send out Superman. This is not a job for our Superman here. Um, He wants our Superman to do more important work. Such as, and we get these um, frozen kind of montage here again of Superboy breaking the back of Batman. Um, he's also destroying the watchtower as Luthor is just commenting and says, like, we got rid of that vigilante. We got rid of that, eyes- that eyesore in, the, um, in space. Um, and then he says he's overall very pleased with his son's actions. However, he does feel that he's holding back from his full potential and that's he's not shedding these useless attachments. And we think it's ghosty. Superboy thinks it's ghosty. But then in a panel quick over, we see that ghosty has now turned to Miss Martian. And now we're just like, OK, so hmm. Superboy is completely regressed to like day one in the pod. Now, <laughs> this is bad. He was very angry before we thought we had gotten past that. Yeah, but he is going to be angrier than ever. And um, the question of, as he weighs the merits of, should he just leave Phantom Girl behind since she's been unconscious and not talking for 20 episodes? We cut over back to Apocalypse, where Macom X has a meeting with Darkseid. And because you guys may forget Darkseid's a gangster, this whole conversation, he doesn't turn around. Darkseid doesn't say a word. He lets his assistants handle everything here. And McComax in this one-sided conversation is like, hey, I did call a lot of traders for you. Can I get the, the thing I asked for? And he's become is told, okay, you will. One last mission. And he's told to follow Kryptonian Killmonger over here. And whatever missions Kryptonian Killmonger wants him to do, you do it. And then <laughs> he, he said, then and only then will you get your freedom or whatever you want. That's sticking. That, yeah. is, that is sticking for the rest of my life. Oh my God. The hairstyle. He had the hairstyle. Had the, the hairstyle, the attitude. I can see him even saying, like, yo, you know where they got these pieces? That's the Kryptonian tech. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I'm gonna take it off your hands. <laughs> exactly. See, it's it just makes sense. Um, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> what came first? Oh no, that's Black Panther again. Okay, okay. uh, but <laughs> yeah, so uh, as he as he goes off on this new adventure, uh, we see back on back on New Genesis, the kids were playing with that device. It is now malfunctioning. So uh, now it's time for Orion to beat some kids. <laughs> yeah, because um... <laughs> these are bug kids, by the way, but yes. it doesn't make it right. Doesn't make <laughs> it right. Because <laughs> what happened was that as they were playing around with this toy, um, or at least trying to protect it because they were trying to do good for the hive, um, this device sends off a beam of energy which unfortunately hits Orion, knocking off his helmet, and this puts him into a very angered state. So when Rocket tried to intervene and create a force bubble because she saw that the device was about to it was sparking electricity and everything, it was trying to protect the kids. Orion completely leaps this entire crowd in a single bound to backhand the kids. <laughs> um, it was bad. <laughs> These kids were flying. <laughs> And in that moment, Rocket has to make the decision of putting Orion back in his in this force bubble that she had created for him before. Uh, she's trying to protect everybody. But in that moment, as everyone is trying to figure out what's going on, we see that Light Ray starts pleading with Rocket to, to stop. You have to let him out of this because even though he's like in this state, he's very claustrophobic. And hold, holding him in this bubble is going to create some damage that they're not prepared for. Rocket, she's just in this thing that things like, look at him. He's a monster. We can't, we got to stop him. The worst thing that can happen is for him to hurt everyone here. This is when, after listening to Light Ray state this fact about him being claustrophobic, she decides to lower the force field. Light Ray grabs the mother box and throws it over to Orion and the pings are able to reassure Orion that everything is going to be okay. Um, a lot is happening here. Everybody is tense. The only thing that Orion does is give Rocket a one word saying sorry. Um, and we have to figure out what to do next because back in Supertown, now that everything has been solved, um, Flash, new old Flash was able to um, calm down the ruction cells, never explained how, but he does say that it's still dangerous. So we see that the man in the chair, um, Metron, he comes in. He says he's going to take it over to his interdimensional vault for safekeeping. All of this while Rocket is just watching Orion. And the more she, he's look, she's looking at him, the more she's just like, I don't trust this guy. And she also overhears him saying and that he lost control due to another inheritance from his biological father. And as we are left to ponder that, we go back into... Uh, Superboy. Superboy finds another friend out there, and the friend explains, "Hey, bro, you got you got a sickness. Uh, that's why you're hallucinating. That's why you're seeing things. So don't worry about it. We'll fix you right up." And Superboy is like, "Thanks, dude. Who, who are you, by the way?" And this is where we get the drop that this is General Zod that Superboy has just met, and they are in the Phantom Zone. Uh, so. I mean, I'm not going to pretend this is the second time I saw it, so I can't pretend. But the first time this drop happened, my jaw was on 
the floor because I had no idea it was a Phantom Zone. Definitely didn't expect General Zod. Uh, you never expect General Zod. So that's true. <laughs> He'd be yeah. coming out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> so this was wild, a wild reveal. So as you're left reeling with that reveal, you get a post credit scene where they look at the Justice League reserves. And um, <laughs> there's a lot of people on the wall that they're considering recruiting. I like Clayface because I know in a lot of recent stories, Clayface has been more of a anti-hero. But Peacemaker? They were considering Peacemaker to the Justice League reserves? <sighs> yeah, I don't. But in uh, any case, that closes up that. And now we're going to Razor's Edge Encounter. That's not the title. My notes are just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little bit more to it. We are encountering <laughs> upon the Razor's Edge. Exclamation point. I have to add an exclamation point because it's a Jack Kirby production. Uh, <laughs> we hop on over to uh, Central City. So we are back on Earth. It's the backyard of the Garrick House. As we see that Bart is zipping back and forth out the bio ship. He's taking parts from the table. Um, and this is where we see where we left off with um, when he met up with Saturn Girl and Chameleon Boy, who share they're really impressed over the fact that he's able to do like all this work because it took them apparently, I believe, six months to collect all this technology. and He is building everything in 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Part of me is just like, why have we never talked to Bart first? Like we were like, Superboy, Superman, talk to the speedster from a different timeline. <laughs> It's, it would be my first stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Bart is talking to him, talking to them. He's saying, I can finish this really quickly. And I was like, wait, quicker than that? But um, he says that I won't finish it until you tell me exactly what's going on. And as I mentioned, Bart is from outside the timeline. They were afraid that if they shared anything, it's going to upset it. And he's just like, literally, I am not of this place. So if you want to want me to help, I'm happy to do it. Um, so of course they're going to have to talk about that, but we have to hop back over to Supertown, where uh, Kryptonian Killmonger has now appeared with his crew, Macom X, and unfortunately we don't have a great name for this guy, but we're just going to call him Mantis. Yeah, um, we could call yeah. him I don't know Super Jack Forger, but I feel like Mantis is just suffices. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't get a cool name, but he does get the most Jack character award, so you know consolation prize. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So as they are joining this new team, uh, Macom X is just very upset because he's just like, I literally was able to bring so many people to dark side brought like it was only 16. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it was a lot, but not that many. But he's like, I don't understand. Why is it that dark side would tell me to just follow you blindly? Because only a fool would do that. And as we get a parallel now here, as Bart is demanding for explanation from the Legionnaires, Macom X is demanding the same thing from um, Kryptonian Killmonger. All while finally on Genesis, the Green Lanterns have arrived or are arriving as Tomar Ray and Kilowog are using their lantern rings to finally fly over to this summit. But before they can, they see that there's someone in distress out there in space. They go and find that their good old buddy Razor is there. And, um, he, Razor has a blue ring, uh, meaning that he is powered by hope. But because he's out of hope, he can't move through space and he's stranded in space. And my first question is, who the hell is this? <laughs> Did I miss a season <laughs> of Young Justice? <laughs> no, 
Um, you missed a whole other show entirely. <laughs> we will talk about this in the comic book section, but from now on, we'll just move on. Yeah, so everybody pretend like you know who this is, because the show will. <laughs> uh, in any case, they get back to the planet, and Rocket um is still very distrusting of Orion. She especially now is like, oh, why would we trust Darkseid's son? And again, dropping knowledge like people know it. Um, <laughs> and Rocket is called out by a friend saying like, hey, it's a little bit more complicated than you might think about him being Darkseid's son and everything. So, you know, just give him a shot. So now we're also getting some, again, more information about people we should know about. We find <laughs> that in a quick summary, Razor was once a Red Lantern fueled by anger, but he found a blue ring and um, decided to swap him out. And he gave his red ring to Metron for safekeeping, the ultimate man in chair. And Metron says, I'll I'll hold this anger down for you until you're done with your experiment with hope. So now he decides uh, maybe it's time to take it back to complete the mission. And so while he's deciding what colors he's going to rep, like he's a Power Ranger, we see Forager has given up his seat to hit on a girl. Yeah, um, Forager is almost kind of like Loki here. Forager has decided to hit on Forager. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so they're questioning all of this um, because Forager, by which I mean are, I'm going to have to just give them the colors, Red <laughs> Forager, who we know, um, he says that he's confident in the fact that Rocket and Flash can handle this meeting and he prefers to spend time with Forager, Blue Forager here. As the two of them hold hands, it shows that they are building on this love relationship of some sort that they are building out here. However, we don't have to worry about that because Bart has gathered all the chicken whizzies that you can find, I think, in the Central City area. Um, And he decides to sit down to listen to the Legionnaire story of how they came to be. And they explain that um, they have to go all the way back to Krypton. I'm not going to (laughs) talk about the destruction and all that. It's like talking about Batman and the Pearls. We know that. Wait, do you think they know? Do you think they know that Krypton was once destroyed? (laughs) I hope I hope they do. If you don't know. Um, this show will definitely not tell you about that. <laughs> <laughs> We're tired of talking about it, okay? <laughs> um, so we learned that at one point on Krypton, there was the Phantom Zone. This was an extra-dimensional prison that they put everybody who, I don't know, I guess, like, was not good for parole. Um, or maybe it was good for parole. Like, I guess you go in the Phantom Zone for a day or something? I don't know, maybe. Yeah, it was that either that or you took the Aquaman Atlantean prison. Those were your choices. <laughs> yeah, was you don't want to do or a Arco. Bit. Oh, Arco or Arco. The Batman. <laughs> All right, David in the Phantom Zone. I've seen Ocean Master, and I don't want to go to Arkham. So, uh, so we learned that um, there was a Phantom Zone, um, and that people were sent there. Over a thousand years later, when after Krypton was destroyed, so now we're in the thirty-first century, where the um, with the Legionnaires, a uh, Phantom Zone projector was found. And the United Nations decided that, like, yo, they served a thousand-year bid when they (laughs) were going to be let out in five days. So we'll let them out. And this is when we learn from Lorzad at the same time, from his associates in the Time Sphere, that his family was unjustly imprisoned in the Phantom Zone. His mother was unknowingly pregnant with him. We know that we haven't met his mother yet, but we do know that his mother, his father at least, is Druzad, the one that met up with Superboy. 
And because no one ages in the zone, um, he never she never gave birth. So he ended up being born after they were paroled in the 31st century. The United Planets sent them over to the um, the planet of Daxum um, for people who don't know because they ne- don't even explain it on the show. Daxum mm-hmm. is a very similar planet to Krypton. However, um, it does have the red sun. Um, so they don't develop their abilities. And this was specifically orchestrated because they wanted to make sure that none of these former criminals would rise up. And rightfully so, because General Zod was on this planet and he and his followers were just like, yo, we're going to find the yellow sun and we're going to get back the power birthright, which is our powers. So at the age of 15, Lord went with his dad. They found the yellow sun planet. And because of that, General Zod led a rebellion against the United Planets, taking over everything. Saturn Girl explains that Zod became a, a menace, a terrible dictator. So they decided that they needed to form the Legion of Superheroes to stop him. And the best way to do that was to use a projector to send him back, him and his followers back to the Phantom Zone. But Lorzod, because he was a minor still, wasn't deemed um, a qualifying person to be put into the into the Phantom Zone. So he wasn't put into this prison. Now, Zod, he was like, I was raised to hate the family L because we find out that Jor-El and Zor-El, uh, the fathers of um, Superman and Supergirl, were the ones that put General Zod in the zone in the first place because they were like, his ideas to try to save Krypton are going to be more disastrous than profitable. And because of all that, they decided we're going to, the Legionnaires decided we're going to destroy the projector after we put um, Zod and everybody up in there. However, Lorzod was just like, we're not going to do that. I'm going to stop them by any means necessary. And, oh gosh, there's so much information yeah. because Lorzod decided to steal a time sphere to then go in the past to save his family by using a phantom projector that was fully functioning to get his family out so they can rise up once again. However, Saturn Girl, Chameleon Boy, and Phantom Girl, while pursuing, Lord, uh, or sorry, Krypto- Kryptonian Killmonger, they were hit by the chrono- chronoton radiation, uh, making sure that they weren't going to be affected by any timeline changes. So... Now they are spending their entire time in the last six months, or at least since, or year actually, since Superboy first announced that he was a genomorph and everything in the season three finale, protecting Superboy this entire time from Lorzod, who plans to kill them, to plans to kill him because Superboy is the reason why the Legion of Superheroes were formed as they were inspired by him. Whew. Well, well, that, that was very succinct to the point um yeah i mean could they have expressed literally any of this in episodes that came before it you decide when you go back and listen to aquaman or artemis arts but um (laughs) (laughs) oh god so much exposition no it's fine because (laughs) you know why it's especially fine because none of that matters in the next scene at all. <laughs> it doesn't. Shut up. Don't even think about it. We're not doing that anymore. Instead, we're back to our old friend Razor. <laughs> right? You remember him. <laughs> and Razor. Uh, and finally, following up on the Razor plot we've been waiting for the entirety of Young Justice, um, Metron <laughs> reveals. 
that, okay, I'll give you the blue ring, but you have to exchange it for the red one, which honestly I see is a pretty fair deal in my opinion. But uh, again, don't worry about that right now because we're not doing that. We're going back to the conference where basically uh, we find that the Justice League is here because they wanted to stop the human trafficking uh, that is going on across the galaxy uh, with the, all the metahumans that have left. They want to also, they also thought it was uncool that Darkseid put some Earth spies on their planet. But everyone else is basically like, we ain't trying to pick a fight with Darkseid, to be honest with you. So uh, good luck. Um, and I get it. I would not either. The, um, there's also some funny uh, little asides. People ask why there's so many Green Lanterns on Earth. By the way, yeah, and also they're pretty much pledging that they're not going to help. So our, this conference doesn't seem to be so productive. But again, forget about that right now. We got to go back uh, to Kryptonian Killmonger, <laughs> where we find out that at the end of the last season where Superboy was at the UN, the Kryptonian Killmonger tried to assassinate him right there, but um, they stopped the assassination attempt. And we're left to wait and see where uh, he would show up next because that he was just waiting for points in time he knew Superboy would be. So finally, um, while they were shadowing, everybody was shadowing, they find he, Kryptonian Killmonger goes over to Mars and we find out that he was responsible for everything in that arc, basically. <laughs> he was the one who destroyed the communication satellite. He was the one who blew up the boom tube. And, of course, he's the one who set up the, the kryptonite bomb that was meant to kill Superboy and led to the probable death of Phantom Girl, according to the Legionnaires. He didn't so, kill the king, though. That was the, that was the only thing. That he did. Oh, yeah. No, I was yeah, just we, we uh, that. the priestess. So, you know, yeah. again, if the if Nightwing would have been there, it would have been solved in two seconds. <laughs> so after all of this reveal, finally, it's a mountain of exposition. The comics is like. Hey, bro, thanks for doing me a solid on killing my sister's fiance. Appreciate that. Um, and now that we're all done, caught up on, on this season of Razor and this season of Superboy, uh, it's time to go back to who's our, whose arc is this? Rockets? Rockets arc? Yeah, let's let's go back and do that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Rocket, as we remember from being that this is her arc uh she gets a call from noble noble tells her that he had the school meeting and rock is just like i don't want to talk about that i'm in the middle of these proceedings and he's just like no this is really good news but we need to hop onto it as soon as we can as he reveals that during this conversation the school arranged for a one-on-one aid for amistad to help him through his classes and it'll be completely free I mean, I was like, you know, this sounds like a pretty good deal. Unfortunately, Raquel Rocket here, she's very upset because she feels like this aid would lead to Amistad being stigmatized at school. Noble's just like, yo, like appearances don't matter because at this point he needs help. And this is the help that he needs. Uh, Rocket says she'll consider it. But unfortunately, she's distracted when a huge explosion happens. And this is because Razor, who requested his red ring back after finding out that he had to turn to his blue ring, was like, the red ring doesn't work. I don't understand why you gave me a defunct ring. 
And this is where Metron, being the dick that he is, I'm going to call it as it is. <laughs> this is a PG-13 podcast now. <laughs> um, he states that he spent the entire time that Razor was without this red ring and was rocking the blue ring. Uh, he spent the entire time studying the red ring. He found that everything that it could do, and he just needed some more information. He, we also find out that apparently he has been feeding Razor false clues. I don't know how, but during his quest to find whatever it is that he's looking for, he's been feeding him false clues leading to all these dead ends. So that the more that Razor kept searching and more he kept up hitting the, um, the dead end, the more his hope would get lost. So he found a way to take away hope from a blue rant lantern who is powered by hope. It's a, I'm, I mean, I'm real upset about it. I'm glad that Metron kind of got a punch in the face earlier in the season, but dang, if that's not a good plan, at least to try to figure out some study. Look, these new God villains, they don't do anything halfway. And I do respect them for that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But in any case, of course, this makes Razor upset. And it also made Marvel upset because he copyrights the line. You won't like me when I'm angry before attacking Metron. And Metron is pretty much unaffected. He is he he's not cracked, but <laughs> Razor is pushing. And <laughs> fight spills out to New Genesis, where Metron's shield, he's been holding down the shield button, but as anyone know, who plays Smash knows, it will eventually pop mm-hmm. if you hold it for too long. So the spear cracks around Metron, statues crumble and forage her. I'm not. Ah, that's a good one. I mean, it works. Yeah. It's still going to get confusing if we say it too fast. Yeah. <laughs> but Forage Her is nearly killed by uh, the statue. And in this moment of crisis, of, of regret, Razor is able to somehow harness both hope and anger. And he summit gets, harnesses both rings. Both rings come to him. So now he's red and blue. And now with that power up, he's able to punch Metron back into his hole. Which I love everyone's reaction of like, I mean, he's a dick. So, yeah, we're absolutely cool that you did that, by the way. Yeah. Um, and Razor is able to use his hope powers to heal Forager, as we all know, because we've seen him use his hope powers so many times before <laughs> then. Um, and he rebuilds the statues that were destroyed um, and adds the statues of Forager and Forager. Forager. Um, and I do like this quick line of, he now wants to harm. He is equal parts hope and rage, but he won't let rage rule him alone. Mm-hmm. So on that bright um, note, he decides to go on a mission that we knew we knew about already. His mission to find the, the girl uh, that he says he wanted to find. We know. We, you know. I'm not going <laughs> to repeat it for you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Y'all know all about I. <laughs> <laughs> So we go as he goes into space, we go back to Gertonian Killmonger to see what his master plan is. So now we learn that he fortunately, with the ability of being able to be in this time sphere, um, he can hop around time and space to get to the points where he needs to to acquire right now the greatest treasure that he could find. Um, it's not the Declaration of Independence. It is the one Phantom Zone projector that is currently placed on New Genesis. So this is where uh, Chameleon Boy and Saturn Girl 
finish telling Kid Flash more about um, why is it that they're there now? The reason being that uh, apparently Lorizah, Kill, uh, Kryptonian Killmonger, had destroyed their time sphere, trapping them in the past. And luckily for them, they were able to convince Miss Martian's retired bio ship um, to help them journey back to Earth. And we also learned that Lord, or I, I, I gotta remember, Kryptonian Killmonger. That's <laughs> stick for me. We also learned that Kryptonian Killmonger knows that the Phantom Zone projector is currently in Metron's interdimensional vault, the same one that was previously mentioned um, during Metron's conversation with Razor. And now we find out that he had allied, aligned himself with Darkseid in this like winner-take-all deal. He tells them all that like we just need to find the vault, take the projector, release his parents, and rule the galaxy. Meanwhile, Bart, satisfied with hearing this story, shows that on the bioship, he's now fully equipped um, bioship with a cosmic treadmill so they can start their own journey and kind of do their own. It's like a fake-ish time sphere. Um, meanwhile, we finally get our end credit scene here on this crazy episode. Um, as you hear something even crazier, because it's Forager and Forage Her singing a bug birthday song for Jay, our new old Flash. Who turned 102 during this mission. Yes, because remember, we've been following his aging all season. So it's finally time to mm. celebrate his birthday for two <laughs> seconds off screen. Anyway, next episode is Forbidden Secrets of Civilization <laughs> Fast! <laughs> Exclamation. Uh, so we see that uh, a lot of things are going on. Uh, Metron is in the wind. You know, he's kind of like trying to figure out what his next move. He's always got his own agenda. And we also see that Rocket is apologizing to Orion for her behavior up to this point because she's finally starting to get to understand him. And (laughs) unfortunately, it was really Macom X in disguise. Mm -hmm. So her apology was completely useless. And they figure that now they're trying to trace Metron, Macom X's crew. So they decide to go back in time and place a tracer on the cell that was used in the previous episode. So we do get a flashback to Macom X slipping a tracer on the cell. So then, now that they have a location to be locked onto, the Kaiser Thrall transports them to there uh, very painfully, I might add. And Now, stepping away from the new gods, we go back to Beast Boy, who is finally ready to get some counseling. Yes, uh, he arrives at Dinolance's office in Sherwood Flores, and honestly, greatest name you can ever give a floral shop. Um, He's there now for his mandatory uh, mental health check-in policy as mandated by Black Lightning for any member of Justice League. the outsiders and the covert team. She starts asking him a bunch of questions just to check off some of the boxes to see if she can clear him because he states that he's ready to rejoin the outsiders. And she's asking simple questions like, um, how's it going with sleeping? He's like, it's going okay, still a little rough, but I'm making my way. Um, he also states that he left Space Trek 9 because he didn't want to grow up to be just an actor, which Dinah kind of connects with and i think this is because of her singing past in some comic book stories um he also talks about his relationship with perdita and a lot of his friends and how he has to 
apologize for the things that he said, but he's sure that they would um they would be willing to accept it. Even ask him about like how's he dealing with Connor's death, and he's like, "I'm good. I'll handle it. It's I've had past difficulties, and it seems like everything is okay." Uh, but we're not going to talk about why she's given a kind of like a weird look at him because we're going back to Supertown, we're back in the conference. Uh, Rocket is frustrated because according to the new gods here, Orion and Viking, um, they're like, we want Halo and Cyborg because they both have new god technology in like within their bodies. And we want to experiment on that, which rightfully so, Rocket's just like, nah, she needs to be with her family. But they're like, you know, she has the anti-life equation and we need to protect her. And Rocket keeps on insisting that she needs to stay with the family that loves her. And Orion actually picks up on this and it's just like, it seems that it might have struck a chord with him. And he immediately withdraws the request. So Halo and Cyborg are going to continue to stay on the Outsiders team. I mean, to be fair, the idea of bringing half of the anti-life equation so close to dark side is pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, like you give us some travel time. Like give us a buffer zone. <laughs> um, we also do see that Bear has arrived to any in a nice moment he gets to grieve Superboy because they were friends um once upon a time. And we also see that Tomare, when hearing about Superboy's death, he is also saddened because he regret not saving Krypton and the House of L, his friends, before. So for him it's a really devastating thing to think of another Kryptonian that is gone. Meanwhile, in the Phantom Zone uh, Superboy's memories are pretty much scrambled eggs at this point. He can't really remember much. He's trying to put it together, but doesn't really know who he is at this point. And everyone, as he's walking to this new civilization, they, of course, they kneel before Zod mm-hmm. um, in servitude of Zod because he's built this entire community of Phantom Zone prisoners. Uh, so uh, things are cutting pretty quickly. But we go back to our evil crew who has painfully arrived in the vault. And now all they need to do is uh, search every drawer in existence. (laughs) But so while they're doing that, we cut back to Beast Boy once again in counseling. Yeah, so she asked him. She really starts to dive deep into this stuff. And the thing that comes up is like, hey, do you want to talk to Perdita? Maybe we can call her right now, spook things over makes a very awkward joke about how their makeup calls get very hot. Did not need to know that. <laughs> um, and she pushes him again, again about the sleeping pills, which he states it's no longer using. But when Dinah says, all right, so you'll be cool for a routine blood test. And to be honest, I'm really liking the way that Black Lightning is setting up this <laughs> mental health policy. So Gar is just like, unfortunately, he believes he still might be in his system. And Diana states, well, if it's still in your system, then how do you feel that you're ready to join back on the Outsiders? And Gar starts to get really defensive. Something that I really liked about this scene is Dinah does a really great job in just managing this conversation. Um, she even states, like, you do realize that the sleeping pills are a short-term response to what's going on in your life. What is the long-term response? And the more that she's pushing him on this, the more that we see that he's getting upset and he's calling out like he needs to do something. He needs to be back on mission rotation because um, 
he has to be out there to help save people because he can't lose another person. And this is when she's asking him, like, you lost Connor. And the more that he hears that, the more she's realizing that he truly still blames the death of Connor on himself. Yeah, I particularly like in this conversation that um, she kind of gets that, like, he doesn't really care about the outsiders. Mm-hmm. And kind of hits him back with that you don't really care about him. You just don't want it taken away from you, like Superboy was taken away from you. That's you know one of her transitions. So I really do like uh, how she's really getting at the heart of it. And back in uh, back at the conference <laughs> to follow that very serious scene, um, we see that Forager is over the moon about Forage. Her is ready to get married, and this leads to a whole series of conversations about romance around the table. <laughs> Ryan gets pissed that everyone's just talking <laughs> about romance. Kilowog takes a shit at the table. That's a thing that happens in this show. <laughs> it's um, not actually <laughs> seen, but apparently there are toilets in the suit. <laughs> yeah, so just uh, sleep with that tonight. Um, <laughs> so back in the Phantom Zone, we do hear that the Zods have found a way to do tele- to communicate telepathically while in the zone and and they are plotting against Superboy, but they're taking a long time with it. They're not going to immediately try to manipulate him. So when they're talking to Superboy, uh, they, he hears the words family, which causes Superboy to fast and furious through his memories and start remembering various things. Cause again, that's the power of family. That's what we've learned for these fast 10 seatbelt movies. Mm-hmm. And, Meanwhile, over in Metron's vault, the troublesome trio is getting attacked by what is called a Sun Eater, which we don't really know what it is, but it looks god awful painful. So while they're suffering, uh, Black Canary does take some time to talk about Beast Boy's pain. And in another clever little moment, it's revealed that she hasn't been writing things down during the meeting. She's just been listening to him. Mm -hmm. And now, in the final push to really get Beast Boy to get at the heart of his issues, she says, you feel guilty for Connor? Tell me how you killed him. And he can't give an answer. He's giving, he's stating things like, I should have done this. I should have done that. And as she, he state, he's saying this, she's like, all right, well, then tell me what you would have done differently for Wally. What would you have done differently for Rita? What would you have done differently for your mother. And he says, I should have stopped Queen Bee. To which she states, you were eight years old. The entire combined might of the Justice League and the team couldn't stop Queen Bee. And this is when he breaks down and he says that he should have done something, that he just needs to be better. And all that he can, all that Dinah can tell him is that like, you've been doing everything right. There are sometimes there are things that are going to be beyond your power to control. And this is where we find the breakthrough, the cathartic moment here. As Gar realizes that his main issue is that he feels powerless in these moments. And he wants to do something. He feels like he needs to do something. But he knows now that the thing that he needs to do is get help. And through that admission, Dinah tells him that admitting it is the real start. I'm kind of upset that this moment happened so quickly after everything we've seen 
about his story throughout th- these arcs. Absolutely. This is, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> frankly, the reason why it does feel like this is because it's been drawn out for so long. I think, I think had we gotten literally half of the episodes mm-hmm. with Beast Boy um, struggling and this was the culmination of that arc, I think it would have felt proportional. But here it feels like, and I do, I do to some extent understand that maybe the writers were trying to go for, it takes, it's not simple mm-hmm. for someone to have a breakthrough. It, it, it can take a very long time um, to get to that catharsis. And I respect that answer. But I do think this is something that maybe a time, <laughs> they already the RT alteration. But I think um, if you wanted to do this in a shorter time, throw in some time skips. Month one, we see yeah. Beast Boy sad with the pills. Month two, he gets fired from the show. Month three. And, you know, you skip between these periods of time. We don't have to see. I appreciate their commitment to the realism of what depression is. Um, in their in their eagerness to show every stage, um, it this does feel rushed um, once we... Because, again... Uh, another thing about therapy uh, for people who may have not experienced it, the having a catharsis that changes your worldview is not realistic for the first meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Usually that comes after a few meetings and you guys get to build the rapport and know each other. Uh, it's, it's rare for you to have a catharsis like that right away. So in any case, I do agree. I think it was too, I think, in proportion to all of that we've seen, it was extremely rapid. Um, and the fact that he was forced into it, it wasn't something he came to himself. Mm-hmm. So uh, in terms of choosing to do therapy. So there's a little weirdness here in the landing. Um, the emotional beats are strong here. But yeah, um, the 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 proportions are off. Um, but now that um, we've, we've stepping away from Gar... We find out that they've been dodging the sun. The trouble trio has been dodging the sun eater for a day in Metron's vault. So as soon as Metron shows up, they knock this man out of the chair. They jump him. (laughs) They have the Kaiser thrall (laughs) torture him. And once again, Metron learns he ain't nothing without that chair. (laughs) So now that Metron's being tortured by the Kaiser thrall, um, you know, getting some, I feel bad because I kind of laughed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, he had uh, this one coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we hop back over to the Phantom Zone where um, Zod is showing Superboy's kingdom, showing him how the, uh, the, the, the other Kryptonians that are there, they're like helping to move around the asteroid because, and in the, I feel this is, I was it. watching this, mm-hmm. I was watching this with my wife. And she mentioned how I'm sorry, but why does the beat for this slavery song sound fire? Yo, this was the hottest track. <laughs> this was of of the year when it dropped. Please for the oh, house no, of God. God. Hey, hey, on the house of God. Oh, you know, like whatever track, whatever spirituals they're singing to get them through this, they <laughs> are fire, fire. Ten out of ten, right here. Yep. Yep, y'all, this needed to be on the album. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it should be the Young Justice season one theme song followed by the season four one. And then we got this track. Just drop a three song album. 
you'll be making millions. You you can get the fifth season just from this song alone. Yep. Oh man, but you know, we're seeing that through the will and everything for Zod. Um, all of his fo- followers are able to move this asteroid, which is very. I don't know. It, I guess in his internally, it's inspiring for Superboy, but you know, Superboy don't be showing too much um, emotion. But as he's seeing them build something from this, he starts remembering the wedding altar um, at Hollow Hill in Mars that he was building with his father-in-law, his future father-in-law, and the others. Um, and he has this moment where he's like thinking back and remembering him again, but for some reason, it's not clicking for him. And the only thing that he can do is bow his head and kneel in front of Zod. As this happens, um, Mantis is um, they Mantis is still continuing to search. Unfortunately, they do get um, taken over because while Metron says, "All right, I'll get the the Phantom Zone projector for y'all. Let me just get it for you." Um, he shares that he's going to show the Kryptonian prize that he has. And as he's about to do this, we see a green light emit from this box. And this light is obviously associated with kryptonite. So clearly that thing in the beginning of the season of saying we got all traces of kryptonite from all around Mm -hmm. the world was not true. Um, And this is when um, Mantis, he uses his abilities of flight, which now (laughs) exist, to grab his fellow compatriots to pull them over to the time sphere. They hop into the, um, um, they hop in, they teleport back in time one day because Mantis is able to pick up on the fact that like, okay, if the kryptonite was in there because Metron said he had put it in there knowing what to expect, that means if I go back one day when he doesn't know we're coming, we're going to see the Phantom Zone projector. That's it. That's how our episode ends. Um, we get a uh, after credit scene where um, Forger is reciting um, Shakespeare for Forge Her, and it's a soliloquy of Romeo and Juliet. They switch out the pronouns for for like Forger and Forger. <laughs> it's 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 a lovely moment, but it's a shocking moment to have right at the end of this um, when of this impending doom of possible death as we join in now on Odyssey of Death exclamation point yeah see if he would have dropped that fire track for her oh yeah mm-hmm. um have so, to worry about it. he'll take over new genesis single-handedly because of exactly that. i'm telling you <laughs> move over queen <laughs> so uh we're, we're just in a bayou now where we see that souls are moving around madame xanadu and she pulls out her motorola razor and calls uh satana and says look the soul you're looking for, I can't find it. So uh, we Zatanna calls, gets the call, and even convinces Nabu to help with this mission she's on. So back uh, with the Trouble Trio, we find out that a few hours in the sun got Kryptonian Killmonger, that trademark uh, tan skin. He's back. He looked jaundiced before, <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> um But it is revealed in their haste to leave, Mantis broke the time sphere. Um, So even though they have the Phantom Projector too, they also don't have an energy source for which to use it. So now they're trying to go find an energy source on New Genesis that can 
finally feel the Panther projector, especially since they're now they're stuck in that time. And Forager, uh, we got the Forager who has to choose whether to stay with Forage her or to go back to Earth. Um, and Forager says, I got a solution. Let's go both go to Earth. Um, but unfortunately, <laughs> things aren't going so well. Um, they can't, they don't have much time to deal with that because Metron bursts in the room, breaking everybody's eardrums, and is like, Hey guys, we got a problem. So also fun thing, which I gotta say I was um a little confused about, but I'm glad that it actually makes sense now. So this entire time, the Phantom Zone has never actually had a time, date, or stamp. I'm guessing this is just to show that they it's we don't know how long time's working there. However, it finally gets one because during the time that um Mantis was able to pull them out and crash the time spirit that they're using, it destroys it so that now they are trapped in the present. And because of that now, the Phantom Zone finally gets its own timestamp of being that it is August 29th. And um, we don't know time zone because I don't think there's a time zone in the Phantom Zone. But at least we know that they are now operating on the same timeline. Um, so Superboy is there. He's helping Nan, uh, another one of Zod's followers, to move a rock. Zod and Ursa are both impressed um, because they're like, yo, he can keep up with this dude. And I was like, we have never met this dude. I mean, what is the... What's the thing about this? And they're still questioning. It's like, can we still manipulate him? Um, Superboy is still severely affected by his time sickness. So, but their goal is to find out what information he knows about Krypton because they know that he must be some kind of Kryptonian, given the fact that he's able to do everything that they can do. Um, back in Supertown and New Genesis. Metron has gathered everyone, the Foragers, uh, New Old Flash, Kilowog, and the uh, the Forever people as well, and shares the every, well, at least doesn't share what's happening, but he does share that there is a possible threat of an army of supermen that might be coming, and they need to find the projector that was stolen from his home, and they, they all they know that is that is possibly on, on, um, on New Genesis with them. So they organize a committee. Rocket is rightfully upset over the fact that this man has such a powerful weapon holding all of these super people. Um, even New Old Flash is quite upset, though I'm surprised New Old Flash is not against incarcer- like thousand-year incarcerations. Well, you know, him and his laws. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Making it canon that he doesn't believe in laws. He doesn't believe in laws. <laughs> oh, he breaks the laws Flash. of physics all the time. <laughs> what law? <laughs> exactly. New old Flash can steal. He doesn't need the law. <laughs> um, all this while Trouble Trio are at this like boiling lake where it's absorbing energy from the lake. And it's taking them some time, so they're. Tr- but it does seem like the closer that they is charging up, it does reach the minimum amount of energy to at least open the portal, which uh, leads into the introduction of our team as Orion boom tubes over um, in the sky nearby with Rocket, and they see uh, uh, Kill- Kryptonian Killmonger and the rest of his crew, and decide we gotta take them down now. Unfortunately for them. 
mother boxes don't like hot lava. Uh, I guess who does, <laughs> uh, right? Uh, <laughs> so uh, at this point, they have to do it on their own. So this ragtag team is ready to take on the trouble trio, but a brain blast instantly brings them down. Um, Macom X takes out the heavy hitters of Orion and Rocket right away with his brain manipulation. Old Man Flash. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's another good one. Yeah. Old Man Flash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Old Man Flash, uh, he's just too old for this because he's almost immediately uh, knocked out of the battle. So it also doesn't help that Kil- Kiptonian Killmonger can now have the enough energy to open a wormhole to the Phantom Zone. So I do appreciate this funny scene where a prisoner in the Phantom Zone immediately tries to escape but gets bounced out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because the Phantom Zone projector was only made to retrieve Druzad, only Druzad is allowed out. So as he struggle, as they're trying to figure that out, Rocket in her mind is imagining um, Orion is still dangerous, still deadly, and containing him and activating his claustrophobia. So they're both trapped in this prison of their own making. And now it's time for a real gangster to take care of business when everything's going wrong because Tomar Ray is ready to throw hands with a Superman. Oh, yes. He's like, for the House of L, we're going to do this. And as he continues to fight, um, they start hearing some noises from the area near them. And this is when Tomar Ray is horrified when he sees this like giant mouth and eyes pop up from the ground. And we learn that some um, uh, Kryptonian Killmonger had woken up a Promethean. Think of it as, you know, we're talking about new gods. So Prometheans are probably like the gods before the new gods. That, that Quick and simple explanation for that. A lot of Greek mythology in here. Um, so this is when Tomar Ray also sees that this is source energy here. The energy that has created, that creates everything. Um, it starts erupting from the mouth of the Promethean. And he knows that the longer that it keeps going, the more likely it's going to destroy all of new Genesis. So he's like, I have to contain this in some way, shape or form because he does not want another planet to die on his watch and call back to the fact that apparently he had um, maybe have seen the, the fall of Krypton since it wasn't his sector. Uh, so now he's just like, I got to create an energy plume from, a, from my construct here. And he's using a lot like kind of like the, um, the fire pillars that we saw during the Zatanna arc. He is trying to funnel this energy out into the atmosphere, out into another location in space so that nothing could get damaged. But unfortunately, during all of this time, um, Kryptonian Killmonger is using this distraction to focus on getting Druzad and through his energy signature out of the Phantom Zone. Yep. And look, Kryptonian Killmonger doesn't stop for nobody. So... While he is desperately trying to get there, Druzad almost escapes. But Superboy, thinking Druzad is in trouble, actually pulls Zod away from the hole. So um, while they're struggling to get out, Flash is saved <laughs> by not the bell, but the ball of Forager and is able to get away. And in the midst of this, also Rocket 
in the mental illusion she's trapped in, recognizes that Orion's not a monster. She tells him that I can't imagine what your struggle is. You fight a different kind of darkness. So at this revelation, she's able to awaken. And Orion immediately, once also breaking out and awakening, hits Makam X. Um, I also like in the middle of this crazy battle, Forager uses a Nightwing technique to, <laughs> yeah. to beat another bug. And it was not uh, pocket sand. <laughs> yeah, not even, not this time. So Bat Family training. And uh, Old Man Flash also blocks the hole that they can get into the Phantom Zone. So things are going pretty well right now. But unfortunately, there's one thing that doesn't go too well because the four... Well, a couple of things. <laughs> unfortunately, a couple of things are start spinning out of control as the Kaiser Thrall is trapping the Forgers in a torturous loop and they can't escape. But even worse, Tomare has to choose because now that Kryptonian Killmonger is shooting lasers into Tomare's back, he has to choose. He can't maintain his shield on his back and save the planet. So Tomare allows himself to die, saying that he will never again fail to save a planet. And with the last of his will, he funnels out the rest of the lava and dies in the process. He does die with a smile. So I do appreciate the fact that um, it's in this moment where it's just it's, it's very sad because it's like we don't know Tomare much. But given his long history that's being put onto us, we know that he was a very pinnacle part of the universe for quite some time. Also questioning how old is he because Superman must be himself pretty old. But yeah. um Lore, as he's watching uh, Tomare fall to the ground, um, he starts coming after everybody. Unfortunately, though, for him, Rocket's able to put a force bubble around him, um, Kryptonian Killmonger, and Orion. And, uh... Woo! (laughs) Let's just say that man is claustrophobic. (laughs) Orion mixed this boy up. This I don't I don't I don't know how Kryptonian Kilmonger remembered his name after the beating <laughs> that he got from this man. My God, not like he didn't deserve it, but Jesus, I was about to call the police, uh, save him. <laughs> but in the in also this mix, Tomar's Ray flies over to forage her, and she re- she becomes a new Green Lantern. Um, and right as all this is happening. Martian girl f- arrives on the bio ship and to see the holes of the phantom zone, she can reach out and touch phantom girl with her mind, waking phantom girl up um, and opening a new chapter. Unfortunately, that chapter threatened to be closed because Kryptonian Killmonger jumps on the bio ship and threatens to snap her neck immediately. <laughs> It's uh, it's a very wild scene, and this causes the bio ship with his crew to fly away. Um, meanwhile, Rocket goes to check in on Orion. Um, he's all right, but he does question where's Tomar Ray. As we close the scene with everyone around them, uh, Mantis and Kaiser Thrall has been being held captive now, and this is where we get the classic DC uh, shot of the fallen hero being held by their close friends. 
as Tomare's body is being held by Kilowog, who is devastated and mourning in front of everyone. Um, meanwhile, we hop back over to Metron, who takes the damaged time sphere of Kryptonian Killmonger and puts it in storage for study later. I got to tell you, this man needs to stop studying and putting some work. <laughs> um, and at the same time, Kilowog is with Viking and tells um, Flash, new old Flash, that the treaty, that everything that they have in the treaty, consider it signed because after everything they went through, they know that they can trust them. Um, Flash, yo, <laughs> Flash is ready. He was like, yo, I know we just signed the treaty, but I don't agree with laws. You want me to go and kill Tomar <laughs> killers? And Kilowog was like, nah, we good. We, we, we'll handle this one because we were already hunting. And I was just like, this was barely five minutes. You already got the squad out? Mm. And I tell you, Mr. Old Man Flash, he was ready to kill. He's killed before he'll do it again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what are these laws you speak of? <laughs> now that Forge Her uh, is a Green Lantern, um, there's a they decide, okay, you definitely can't stay on Earth, so they're going to start a real long-distance relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do get um, a scene where Orion and Rocket come together, and Orion thanks Rocket for seeing him as he is. And now's a good time with Andy to mention I I was not a huge fan of how this uh, kind of unraveled I will get to it in a minute, but <laughs> we'll get to it in a minute. Um, but uh, also, what other? <laughs> we'll get to the 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 more lot. Wait, we'll get to it in a minute. But first, let's talk about how in this resolution between Rocket and Orion, they flash back to memories that literally happened two seconds before the scene. <laughs> the animation literally loops back to two seconds ago. Why scene? Why do this? <laughs> um, and then to close up, we see that Jay arrives in an empty home. As we know, we also find out that everyone magical on Earth was using was conjuring a spell, and they find that the soul they're looking for, the soul of Connor, is not around anywhere. So this prompts them to say, "Okay, his soul's gone. He's either at peace or." He's still out there, so it looks like we need a detective. Um, you know, setting up the return of Nightwing. And as we ponder that, the last thing we see is Forager posing for his Drake album cover. <laughs> yeah, so while we see Forager once again reciting some more, um, it makes us think back to the days of English class in high school and having to read all that with the translations on different sides. (laughs) So while we dig up those books and try to figure out if those translations still apply and if Drake used any of them in any of his albums, uh, we'll leave you with this podcast from the Forgotten Entertainment family that you should be listening to the next time you're not listening to us. 
Hi, I'm Mike Phil. I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Generic Ad. Join us every Wednesday as we talk about films that seem to be forgotten by audiences, whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the film, maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. You never know, you might find your own forgotten gem. Forgotten Cinema is available wherever you get your podcasts or at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. I swear I talk more in the episodes. All right. So with our arc here, the rocket arc. <laughs> Very loosely. <laughs> uh, what was the most whelmed episode of this bunch? Well, one episode pretended like we didn't see any of this before. So automatically <laughs> um, yeah, automatically uh, beyond the grip of the gods um, is by most whelmed. It was the first episode of the set. Um, it <laughs> once again is so many promised before by starting with Rocket at home before going to this planet of new gods. I was going into this hoping we would get more time with Rocket. We get more time to learn about who she was. And even though we were signing yet another treaty and yet another foreign place. Um, for two arcs in a row it did seem like this felt different enough we were getting to spend time with forager and we were moving uh we found we're moving the superboy plot along so things were feeling good in this episode and i think it was a really good somewhat self-contained story that provided intrigue for the future um couldn't sigh with the the next episode because it pretended like we knew who razor was and (laughs) i don't I I don't. So I was very confused. Um, Forbidden Secrets, the problem here being Beast Boy, um, the catharsis coming so late. And finally, Odyssey of Death uh, expresses a problem that I've had with this arc in particular, where we do start throughout this arc, Rocket, which is barely Rocket's arc, is struggling with um, accepting her son as he is. Mm-hmm. And we we get that we get that she has trouble accepting it, but what they do in this arc is they, without explicitly saying so, just implying that Orion is on the autism spectrum as well, and they have him portrayed as someone, um, you know, prone to angry outbursts. She sees him as a monster, literally, mm-hmm. um, in some ways, so. This analogy and her, you know, her seeing him and everything, it feels like making comparison between two very different things, very different levels, because not every presentation of autism is the same. So while I get she was they were trying to have her learn acceptance through meeting someone else um, that was struggling with different issues, but similar it just feels like it's the thoughtful exploration they could have had was skipped over using Orion as a scapegoat to talk about the entire spectrum of experience, which I didn't think really did that justice. And especially because Razor is getting a story instead of Rocket, it definitely feels cheapened to throw, to try to have that resolution. Um, it felt like an afterthought and it really should have been 
more of a central plot line if we're going to go with that. And that's how I feel about these set wedding events. Yeah, I'm also going to go with Beyond the the Grip of the Gods, exclamation point. Um, because, and I would say Odyssey of Death was my second choice, mainly because of how it ended with like Rocket saying, okay, she goes back home, she immediately goes to Amistad, and she's like, in this moment of after having to work alongside Orion, recognizing that like she's she mistakes to her son, I see you, Amistad. And it's this cute moment because it seems like his way of interacting, um, or at least showing appreciation, because he, he's uh his way of showing appreciation or at least love for an individual is to double tap them on the hand. Um, I know that I've heard that in the past that sometimes this is used as a way to say kind of like uh, I love you or just to show again like a I'm here not these nonverbal cues to show this appreciation for somebody who's on the spectrum um those together would work well in terms of showing how she's had difficulty raising a child in this kind of world and then coming back after getting some understanding that like there is a possibility with like especially because we had all these people who were like you know, he needs this. He needs that. Explaining that to her. These two episodes work in that part of her story. Unfortunately, that's her only story that she gets. And I'm very upset that we had such a strong character who we've never gotten a chance to really experience in the in this world. Because every single time she's always had almost like non-verbal appearances, except for in season one. So um, with like... Beyond the grip of the gods, I think it was the best introduction we could have gotten for who she is and what to expect coming into this story. And I also will say that in that in that episode, too, I really kind of enjoy seeing the interaction the new gods have with the mountain hive bugs, um, really forming the dynamics of it. But it just felt like every episode after that was just minute by minute. It was just falling apart. Like, I'm upset that this conference took so long because there was, like, uh, interruption every five minutes. I feel like, who is the project manager on this? Y'all need to get this together. There needs to be someone who's in charge of taking notes, taking minutes, because clearly I'm pretty sure things would have been forgotten. Yeah, yeah. I, it's, it's, it's again, uh, more symptomatic of the ongoing issue with the season of in their issue to pause the plot and try to stretch out the mm-hmm. plot we they have to rush all of this because there there could have been an entire episode where we just found out ep- exposition about Kim- kryptonian killmonger yeah this could have happened at any time at any time and we're it's okay you didn't increase I, if they're worried about urgency he's a time traveler he shows up when he needs to for the plot it's mm-hmm. fine <laughs> it really is so what struck me about what you said is that Rocket is defined by her role as a mother and not mm-hmm. by as a person first at any time in this arc. It's all about her being a mother. It's all about her, the technology she gets to be a hero. It's never about her being a hero. So the arc fails her in that regard. Um, and it's strange to say that Aqua Man's arc was stronger. Um, but in comparison, there isn't. Rocket yeah. is just really shortchanged this entire arc. So yeah, the, the, there's one episode that does her justice, but the rest, not so much. 
Yeah. I also wanted to say, too, that I wish that we never actually explicitly said um, things relating to Orion being Darkseid's son. Like, this is um, common book knowledge and um, some, I think in some properties and some animated productions in the past, it does come up. Um, oh, yeah, I was thinking about Justice League Gods and Monsters. Mm-hmm. I think that's when it comes up, too. Um, because in a way, it starts to equate being on the spectrum to being the son of dark side and knowing that that comes with this kind of monstrous demeanor apparently and it felt i don't look i i i'm not a professional in this but it just felt a little awkward to say that like more or less the father of all evil is similar to being on the spectrum that's the way that i read it and i wish that they didn't include that. Well, she didn't say the line about, you know, it's my father's, my inheritance for my father. I just wish it was just like, this was just an unknown concept of within the the world of New Genesis. But they were just more accepting and more willing to work alongside him versus like him being very aggro is, is, is Darkseid's fault. That That felt very... It felt like it cheapened what the the message was with like trying to say that Raquel needed to experience this in order to understand how to work alongside um, her son and everything that he will need. Because take out that, everything else would have worked. Mm-hmm. Completely worked for me. Like, I wouldn't even be pushing to say if we needed more time with her. Those two things would have completely worked. Including that, though, cheapens it a lot and it feels like it's a little disrespectful. Yeah, I mean, even if they had taken the time to just define what exactly he was grappling with as well, mm-hmm. I think would have helped a lot. Yeah. Because we could have even had a moment of saying, okay, you're not, this is not something my son is explicitly dealing with, but some of the things and some of the interactions I had reminded me of that. You know, even that conversation would be would be better. Um, but yeah, it just felt very reductive. Uh, the way they did it uh, and presented it. And I think a lot of that is due to time. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, sometimes I think if you can't express something with the uh, an issue with the sensitivity and time it deserves, maybe you don't need it in your story. And I'm also going to say the one thing that we're probably all thinking uh, Rocket Art should have included more stuff from Dakota, more milestone characters. You literally have all of them. (laughs) What do you mean? We saw Icon so many times. <laughs> he he had so many lines. <laughs> so did hardware. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Um. All right. So with that, we're going to move into our comic book section now because I promised I was going to answer this, and I'm going to. Who is Sam Hill? Is Razor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Back in 2012, around the same time, 2011, 2012, about the same time that Young Justice um, premiered. Um, I'm going to sound like Yoda, but there was another. <laughs> there was another show that DC had created for his, for his cartoon DC, DC Nation block called Green Lantern, the animated series. Hmm. It was the first completely CGI show that DC had ever produced. Um, If you're interested or even if you're not, 
I would still recommend it. It was uh, it's one season, 26 episodes. Unfortunately, like many other shows in the past during that time, it got canceled due to toy sales. But 26 episodes, you're in and you're out. And this follows a story featuring Hal Jordan. And he's on a mission with the fellow Green Lantern, Kilowog, and also a Red Lantern named Razor. They are just going around the... Um, solving not mysteries but solving cases mm-hmm. um because they found that they have this common mission that they have to complete so they decide to work together and the best way that they can work together is by stealing a ship with an ai um that the guardians had created and the ai decided to call itself aya oh so first of all this is something that old man flash would approve of because you know crimes right uh secondly (laughs) it was a ship (laughs) yeah yeah here's the crazier part the ship created a body for itself uh that could go around very much like in legends of tomorrow i think there's at one point where there's like a actual body moving around yes ava yes Yes. ava oh crap A lot, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I won't get into the the legends tomorrow. That's that story is a is a lot. <laughs> but another time, another time. <laughs> Razor ends up forming a bond with this ship. Um, the ship itself, I believe, becomes a Green Lantern. Uh, oh, okay. However, <laughs> something happens to the ship. They come. I won't spoil too much into it, but the ship does turn evil. Uh, tries to take over and remake the world by going back in time. They're able to stop it. However, by doing so, they completely have to take the entire AI apart. However, Razor finds out that there's a possibility that Aya is still out there in the universe. So the series ends. I'll, I'll cut it here if you don't want the spoiler. The series ends with Razor starting this journey of floating through space trying to find Aya as a red lantern and it concludes with a blue lantern ring following behind him showing that because of this hope of him finding Aya he's gonna get a blue lantern he's gonna become a blue lantern so you're saying this episode is a continuation of a show that had one season and that most of the viewers of Young Justice probably at the time didn't even have access to view for themselves to understand what the hell was going on yeah that is exactly it all righty then. <laughs> if you want to find out more, though, it is currently on Max hashtag not sponsored. Um, all twenty six episodes, and you get a chance to see, you know, homeboy flying out into space. <laughs> right. Okay. So sorry if you're listening to this. If you in your time sphere and you're listening to this before twenty twenty three, you can't do that because it's not out yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. So and then for the other characters, a lot of the stuff was the same. Um. Unsure about flashes, <laughs> flashes of <laughs> reluctancy to follow the rules. Well, Ryan's rage is the same. Um, probably was a bit more, um, I think I would say aggravated actually here in this episode. Uh, Tomar Ray being the lantern for Krypton is accurate, is actually even said in that Green Lantern series as well that he was in control of Sector 2813, uh, which I think because 2814 is Earth, 2813 should be Krypton and a bunch of other planets. Um, and then the thing that kicked in my hyper focus during my research <laughs> is that Jay is actually 102 years old. Oh, yeah. So 
Jay got his powers um, from hard water vapors. I Loki, I feel like that's just hookah. <laughs> um, during his junior year of undergrad, when the comic came out, introducing him in Flash number one in 1940. So math standards, because it was undergrad junior year, he had to be about 20 to 21, meaning that he was born in 1919 or 1920, meaning that when this episode premiered in 2022, Jay's birthday is August 25th, 1920. <laughs> what a long life of crime. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, though, there is, there is a long life of crime. Oh, man. Um, there is one thing, that though, that does mess us with this continuity because this episode of Jay being 102 was a post-credit scene to the Razors episode. So if unless this Green Lantern series took place in 2022, because it stated that Razor was only searching for Aya for a few months. Yeah, I guess so. (laughs) I Um, I bet you're the only person who's thought about that canon. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It was was literally sitting there searching for like 50 minutes trying to prove this. (laughs) To prove whether or not Razor and Flash being 102 actually makes sense. And it does because of freaking Flashpoint. Oh, thanks, Flashpoint. Yeah. So because the Green Lantern show came out, was originally premiered in like 2011. That's around the same time when the Flashpoint comics were happening. Um, Or maybe even the movie coming out in like about 2013 or so. Or that time in general was enough that was just like it could have been they could have switched it so it was just a few months or meaning that even if it's don't if they don't take if they take place on the same earth it works if it doesn't that that means there's an earth out there where flash is 102 and it's only been a few months since Ray's has been searching for her. well it was looks like it was uh the continuity all along <laughs> damn comics <laughs> All right. Now, finally, we do have Rocket um, because even though our show did not give you any explanation about who she was, um, we are here for you for that. Um, so Rocket is a milestone media creation by Dennis Cowan, Mark Bright and the late great Dwayne McDuffie. Uh, she first appeared in Icon number one back in 1993. So um, at this time, she's really oh look at that. Uh, not actually in comics, but in, just in creation. And um, she was originally written as the partner for the iconic hero icon. Um, But fun fact, she's actually the true protagonist of the story. Hmm. So her origin in 1993 uh, is very similar to her new rebooted origin in 2021 when Milestone was signed back on to DC and was able to come back and we were able to get... um, did more stories of static, more stories of icon, more stories of hardware, blood syndicate, all in this new retelling uh, led by Reginald Hudlin. Um, so in this, in both realities, Raquel, uh, she meets Augustus Freeman when she and some of her friends broken, broke into and entered his home and they came face to face with him. Upon seeing the artwork around his halls, they realized that the same person was just in different time periods. And this is when Augustus would come in and try to stop Raquel and her friends from doing anything further. They shot him. Bullet bounced off. Um, Raquel was the first one to notice that there was no blood. And he tells them that I'm willing to forget all of this. If you forget all of this, forget you saw what happened, 
forget that you shot me, forget that you entered my home, everything. And if you do so, I won't come and kill you and your families. Fair enough. Yeah. Raquel, she's obsessing over this because she's like, I met this amazing person who just did this amazing things. Why is he not out there doing some more amazing things? So she goes back to the house and she questions him about why he isn't doing more and says, I will help you do so because for him, he's like, I don't want to do it because as an alien, um, I don't feel like I will inspire people. So she says, I will join you as your human counterpart to give that human factor. All I need is just some technology to go out and fight crime with you. And this is where I'm going to get more into the uh, still into the story in the 2021 version. The two of them are fighting crime. You see that they're having these uh, great conversations about politics and the war on drugs. He's pushing her to study and get into politics because he's saying that, like, you can't make change if you're not in the system to help make the change happen. We can destroy everything we want, destroy all the bad, but they're going to keep on coming up. In fact, the more they keep destroying the bad, the more that they share that in the American government, apparently they're realizing a deficit in their in money because they're getting rid of the drug trade. That's a whole nother camera. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so and it's something that pops up in both 1993 and 2021. Um, so um, for the, the difference, though, in these two stories is that in the 1993 story, Raquel does um, does end up pregnant with one of the people that she helped, that she joined her on this journey when they first met Augustus, and that's Noble, who we also know from the show. Um, he didn't want anything to do with the child, so she ended up being a single mother. Um, because of being a single mother, she at one point uh, disregard like, threw away the identity of Rocket, um, which she was able to pull off because Augustus created from his ship a belt that gave her the abilities to create force fields, shoot off energy blasts. So Rocket or Raquel isn't really a metahuman. She just has technology that allows her to fly and do all this other cool stuff. So in 1993, we see her learning to be a mother in that arc. But in 2021, we see her dealing more with the politics and learning that she can help make change if she actually studies and goes into this work to help make it happen. So I can see why they wanted to include both of these stories in our episode for her arc, because it is a big part of who she is as a character. She's like the first single mother uh, superhero in the DC universe. And then she's such an idea in like one in one time. And then in the future, she's a very young, idealistic individual. And both sides are characters who just really want to make change happen. But they're just trying to fight with like, do I do it with my fist or do I do it with um, proper tactics and words, which is something I saw a lot of in her character in these episodes. Okay, so I see what they were trying to do with the politics. But yeah, it would have been nice to actually like let her uh, let her do more. <laughs> let, her, let her cook yo like come on or let her like solve a pol- political problem at least yeah. uh, yeah. <laughs> alright so with that that wraps up Rocket Um, she has even though her story is very short in terms of like comic book production I think she's still a very popular character especially because 
the character her character in the world is just super popular and the world is popular itself and i know we're planning to get more stories i believe animated movie that was announced back in 2020 that still hasn't I mean, we haven't heard from him about yet but at least there are <laughs> there's still some there's a, this is a there's still some comics for her out there you still see her um shutting down batman on a couple of things which is some of my favorite stuff but check her out and that wraps up our episode on the rocket arc this is the penultimate arc of <laughs> young justice fans it's actually the entire series as we got five actual televised animated episodes left in this story um, we're still going off the ride next week, so be sure to check us out on our socials, our Patreon for more content. In the meantime, take care of yourselves and remember that I guess just watch Green Lantern, the animated series, because no one's actually going to remember Razor outside of this show for some reason. <laughs> and if a dude on a floating chair knocks out your eardrums before trying to make a deal with you, don't do it because you can't hear him. It's a bad idea. <laughs> Thanks again for listening. Yet Another DC Animated Podcast is a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. If you liked what you heard, leave a review and share us with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at YADC Animated Pod.